Hi, and welcome to Elevate Potential. I'm so glad that you're here. This is a podcast that is designed to help you escape patterns, embrace passion, and elevate potential. My name is Elizabeth Perry, and as a lifelong student of psychology, personal development, and human potential, as well as a transpersonal life and leadership coach, I will be your guide as together we learn from others who are on this journey. Let's dive in. They have been conditioned to believe that this this may not be here tomorrow. This may not be here in the next hour. And so there is this constant craving of love and affection that they didn't get as a child. Hello and welcome to Elevate Potential. Today we will be taking a look at love, dating, and relationships through the lens of attachment style. This is such a hot topic for so many 20-somethings right now as we emerge from the pandemic and start getting back out there. We will be sharing some of our own personal experiences and also relate back to attachment theory. So let's get into it. Oh my goodness, this is a long-awaited episode. I feel like we talk about this all the time, and so I'm just excited to dive into it and share a little bit about some of the things that we both have experienced and how attachment theory can help us understand how we relate to other people in an intimate way, but also even just in regular day-to-day relationships and within our families and also at work. Absolutely. So what I love about attachment style is that this is something that you, like many other things, introduced me to. Long before I think I was ready to understand it, I remember having a conversation in my kitchen about someone I was dating or someone I was into, and you'd explained attachment styles to me. And I was like, wait, this is too real. (laughs) So I would love to start by talking about maybe for anyone who doesn't know what attachment styles are, can you explain the different attachment styles. Yeah, it's so funny. I remember one day I pulled up to your house and I was listening to the attachment style book and I was like, I just, I got to finish this chapter. And you like had jumped in the car and you're like, can we turn this off? We're trying to have a conversation. And I was so into, I was so into this topic. I became really obsessed with it because my therapist actually recommended this book called Attached. And I had learned about attachment styles in college and The way that attachment styles are studied is with infants. And I love to give this background when explaining attachment theory, because I feel like it paints a really beautiful picture of how attachment starts when we are literally one years old. And so the way that attachment styles were discovered was through this experiment with infants, where they would bring an infant and a mom into a a playroom and they would observe how the infant acts when the mom leaves the room or the caregiver and then when the mom comes back. And so there are four main attachment styles. The first is anxious. And so an anxious baby, when the mom leaves, the anxious baby will just cry and really be inconsolable by a stranger or another caregiver that's in the room. And the real observation is when the mom comes back, the anxious baby still remains anxious. They are still looking for that reassurance from their mom. And there's really nothing that the mom could do to console the child. Um, So that's an anxious attachment style. A secure attachment style is when the baby is with the mom, they're, they're playing and they may play independently, 
When the mom leaves the room, the secure baby is going to cry just like an anxious baby would, a little, you know, scared that their mom has left the room. The other caregiver in the room might be able to console this baby a little bit, but not entirely. When the mom comes back into the room, the baby is able to be consoled by the mom or, you know, caregiver and then continue to play as if nothing happened. The mom left, they came back, now they're here and the baby is feeling secure. An avoidant baby, when the mom leaves the room, this avoidant child is just gonna keep playing and act like really nothing happened. When the mom comes back, they're gonna completely ignore the mom and just continue to play. The interesting thing is there's been studies that show what's actually going on internally is that their stress levels have gone up and they are feeling a, a lot of distraught, but they aren't expressing it, which is a really interesting phenomenon, I think. And then the last one is fearful avoidant. And so this is a combination of anxious and avoidant. And in this baby, it's really unpredictable. When the mom comes back, they, they might be act indifferent. They might cry. It's really unpredictable. And this attachment style is one of the least common out of the four. And so that's a really like clinical, like research-based definition of these four attachment styles and how they show up in infancy. But I, I think that it's even more interesting when we talk about how it shows up in mm -hmm. adults, because it's not just an infancy where we see attachment. Yes. Yeah, so I would love to hear, can you explain kind of the connection to how it shows up with babies and how it shows up with adults, how maybe we might relate to these attachment styles? Yeah. And I think that's so much more interesting. It's a good foundation though. I think under Understanding where the studies came from really helps to understand how it shows up in adults. Yeah, definitely. And I think that a, a little note to make is that what your attachment style is when you are one to two years old isn't necessarily the same as when you are an adult. A lot of different environmental or even relationship dynamics can shape your attachment style throughout life and it is ever changing and it is a spectrum. Just like everything, I feel like it's not really black and white. But how an anxious attachment style shows up in an adult is very similar to in a baby. We're all just big babies. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yes. Especially me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but an, an anxious adult is going to constantly seek reassurance from their partner and from their manager and from their friendships but more specifically from their partner. They're always gonna be seeking that reassurance mm -hmm. and validation that this person likes them. In, in an anxious relationship, let's say someone texts you in the morning, they're like, good morning, beautiful, I hope you have a great day. The anxious person by noon already is, do they like me? They haven't texted me in the past hour. Mm. And that's just one of the many ways that an anxious attachment style might show up. Can I add something to that that I found really helpful too? The, the book Attached describes it also as your craving intimacy and connection to people. So that's where it comes from. It's not just like overthinking for no reason, but the, the need for intimacy and the overthinking that comes with that really strong need for intimacy and connection is something that I really related to in how it was described. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that really dives in what forms an anxious attachment style, what forms these 
quote unquote maladaptive attachment styles because secure is the goal. Anxious and avoidant can create some unhealthy dynamics. And so in an anxious or avoidant attachment style, usually those children did not receive a lot of love and affection growing up or it was inconsistent. They couldn't count on their needs being met. And so an anxious adult likely has that mistrust of love and of affection. And so they have been conditioned to believe that, hey, this may not be here tomorrow. This may not be here in the next hour. And so there is this constant craving of love and affection that they didn't get as a child. Mm -hmm. And that deficit really continues to show up in adulthood. Yeah, exactly. So how does that then relate to the avoidant for adults? What does that look like? Well, avoidance, the way that they have learned to cope with this lack of consistency is to determine that they don't need it, is to kind of keep love and intimacy and connection at an arm's length so that they don't get hurt. Independence, the high value of independence. Yes, they really value their independence and they really have this belief that I am the only one who can meet my needs. And so I am not going to rely on anyone else to do that. I think that avoidance sometimes get praised in single culture for being like degaff, for being like hard to get. And anxious people will get a lot of advice that mm-hmm. just swings them on the pendulum to avoidant, but doesn't actually get them to secure because the difference with secure children and adults is that they understand how to get their needs met by others. They also know how to meet their own needs and under, and they understand that both are important in order to flourish as a human. And one of the common misconceptions is that you should be able to do life completely on your own. And, and when you're able to do that, that's when you'll find a partner. But that's not actually true. Interdependence is super important to how we function as humans. It is part of our evolution as society and is extremely important to our ability to flourish is strong interdependent relationships. But so often both anxious and avoidant people have this belief that, oh, I have to do it all on my own. And it creates this like unhealthy dynamic relationships. Yeah. And I feel like I'm talking about it in a very like clinical way. And I think it's because this is a very tough topic for me. Mm. Why, why is it tough for you? I definitely know that I have struggled with attachment my entire life. It's, it's, and it's not something that just affects, um, romantic relationships. It affects friendships. Mm -hmm. It affects your ability to show up at work. It really affects everything that you do because everything that you do is in partnership with other humans. I definitely feel like I fall into the category of fearful avoidant. And I know that you can relate, relate here. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, yes. So what does that look like for you? Maybe on a more personal level, how does that kind of manifest in your experience? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now it's the real stuff. Let's dive in. <laughs> well, it is, it's really complicated and it's something that I am still working through. I recently did like a deep dive with a relationship coach to learn some of my patterns. And um, I know that this is going to be a two-part episode because we can't even go all the way there, but 
Um, <laughs> for me, the way that it shows up is my attachment system, my nervous system is activated when somebody shows me inconsistent affection or inconsistent validation. And so I oftentimes find myself like feeling these strong emotions for people who are inconsistent with me. So let's say they maybe withhold information around how they feel about me or will go like multiple days without texting back and then suddenly will, you know, be interested in texting with me. And that inconsistency will strike a nerve with my nervous system because that is the type of love that I experienced from my parents growing up. My mom for the first nine years of my life was addicted to substances and my dad has never recovered from this addiction. That started for him when he was 17. And so the inconsistency of the love and affection from my mom and from my dad in my formative years really created this wound that when other people treat me with this inconsistent attention, it touches that wound and it brings up a lot of emotions for me. And then I tend to relate those emotions to love because that Mm -hmm. is my working definition of love from like my formative years. And so it leads me to be attracted to people who might not be best for me, might not be best for my nervous system. And when people show up super consistent and they're always there, they make themselves available, that doesn't touch that wound. And so all of those emotions don't come up. And so therefore, I'm not crazy thinking about them. I'm not wanting to talk about the situation all the time because I feel pretty regular about it, right? It's, I'm, I'm not activated. And that can be really confusing because you want that like head over heels, like fairy tale experience. And I think that there is a difference, right? I've started to notice like, hey, just because I'm not into a guy, that doesn't mean that he's secure and safe and I should go for it because I've tried that let me tell you. And it doesn't work. Overcorrection. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, if you're not into someone, you're not into them. It's not your attachment mm-hmm. style, but there is a fine line between, Hey, they are secure and I like them. I'm, oh, and then there's when that happens when they're secure and I like them. Then this avoidant tendency comes out. And this is where the anxious avoidant play comes in because this fear of intimacy comes up because I'm afraid to be in this type of loving relationship because I I haven't had it that often. In all honesty, like actually I do feel like I have developed a secure relationship with my mom now. She has many, many years of sobriety under her belt and has been in therapy and we have such an amazing relationship now. I have an amazing relationship with you as a friend and I think these relationships teach me that it's okay to be in vulnerable, loving relationships and safe relationships with people. But I'm still learning that in an intimate setting because it is the Super Bowl of relationships. Like friendships, we'll consider that like a final four playoff game. Relationships with your parents, they're part of the championship ring as well. But that romantic relationship is, there's so many things to work through there. We could do Mm -hmm. like a five-part series. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So you described how they show up for you. Is there some examples of like relationships or situations where you're like, oh, this is my attachment style coming up? Well, <laughs> what do I want to share? I know, not the easiest question. I know, <laughs> not the easiest question. The, re- the reason I ask really is because hearing you describe what it looks like is one thing, but hearing examples of where it comes up is like, oh, that's me, or that's where I have been, or that's just something that I think we can all really relate to because we've all been in situations at some point where we have some of these different attachment styles because no one is 100% secure or 100% anxious or 100% avoidant. We all have parts of these different ones and the way they show up can be really different for, for different people at different times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll give an example of when I was working on healing my relationship with my mom. I had this visceral reaction that I couldn't explain why when my mom would offer to make me a plate of food Mm. she was like do you want me to make your plate and I would always be like no I can make my own plate thank you Mm. and it was this like really weird feeling that would come up for me that was like almost anger that she was offering me a plate of food. And I was processing that with my therapist because I just didn't understand why I felt so angry in in those moments. And I realized it was because I really did want to be taken care of. Similarly, I feel this like when I'm sick and somebody wants to care for me, it almost brings up this like feeling of anger. And as I started to process that and to heal that, and recognize the feeling when it came up and take a deep breath and like breathe through it. And I'm like, I would like to make me a plate. Thank you. Or when I'm crying and somebody opens their arms to give me a hug, like there's this really uncomfortable feeling that I feel. And I kind of had to like breathe through it and be like, it's okay. That was part of healing my avoidant attachment style is Being able to breathe through those feelings of discomfort when somebody is trying to meet my needs and allow them to do that. And that's just like a really, really small example. I think with the, with the anxious side, it's like at the beginning of a relationship, especially when I do like them, right? They have objectively all the things that I'm looking Mm -hmm. for. The conversation is really good. I'm attracted to them. They're presenting as very safe. And I start to feel this like anxiety, this anxiety that's like, oh, I don't want to lose this. And then they start showing me that they like me. And I'm like, oh, I really like this. Like, give me more of this. And it's this feeling of not being satisfied. It's never enough. My bucket has a hole in the bottom and it just keeps flowing out. And how I've noticed that I, how I need to like process Mm. that is by telling myself like, this is, and and this is something that you actually taught me is that this is just the cherry on top. My bucket is, is full and I know how to fill my bucket and I know how to plug that Mm. hole in the bottom too. And it's, it's through setting boundaries. It's through making sure that I prioritize myself. It's making sure that At the end of the day, I know my worth. I know how incredible of a partner and human and friend that I am. 
And I'm not anxious that I'm going to lose this specific person because my life is full with so many secure and loving attachments that this one person is just a drop in the bucket. They're not the whole bucket because my whole bucket is made up of a web of relationships and resources and tools and self-growth and self-love that cannot be broken by one person. And I think that that affirmation, that story really helps me calm my nervous system and allow me to talk to myself better when I'm feeling triggered. And Mm -hmm. that still happens a lot. I am not finished. We never are. And I know that I'm not alone in it, that there's a, a spectrum and so many people fall multiple different places on this spectrum. And Mm-hmm. that helps for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned how it's kind of changed over time for you. Like it's been this kind of growth process. Can you describe at all how your attachment style has changed over the years since you've been become more aware of it? Yeah, I mean, I remember there was this conversation that I had with a friend in college. I remember she asked me because... I was just telling her what was wrong with all of the different guys in the pipeline. (laughs) And she was like, you're so judgmental when it comes to the people that you're dating. It's like, they can't do anything right, but you seem so loving towards your friends. What's the difference? And in my head, I was like, I'm not loving towards my friends. You don't even know who I am. (laughs) And wow, that's, that's what I thought in my head, but out loud, I was just like, Oh, I don't know. Because the truth was, I didn't really let anybody in. I didn't let anybody know what was really going on with me. I was alone, even in a crowded room. And I didn't really feel like I had close, intimate friendships or relationships. And it was very, very lonely. I felt disassociated often. And that's what I was working on in therapy was disassociation. And that's often happens with avoidant um, attachment style. And I think that now I can just point out so many relationships that I have where I am able to show up as my full authentic self and be naturally vulnerable. And it's still hard. Like I can recall even on Father's Day when you were here in LA and my dad had texted and I didn't know how to handle it because that's, again, one of those Super Bowl of relationship and attachment Mm -hmm. moments for me where I definitely withdrew and cried and and didn't end up telling you until probably halfway through the day. And But that is growth because I did tell you and I did let you into that, those feelings. And I think that it's grown because I've learned how to open up. I've learned how to be vulnerable. I've learned how to ask for my needs to be met. But there is still growth to be had, right? And of course, yeah. I'm still triggered, especially when I, I'm in one of those situations where I really like this person. I really do want to pursue a relationship with them. And, and that fear starts to come in. Like, what Mm -hmm. if, what if you mess it up? You're broken. You have this history and I have to just reinforce myself. Like you have done the work, Elizabeth. There are very few people that are as aware of their (laughs) attachment (laughs) as you. Yeah. And I just have to reinforce that self-trust, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's not easy. It's definitely a work in progress. 
Yeah. And I love that you talked about the words that we use for ourselves, kind of that self-talk as well, because something that I think I'm realizing with my own journey through learning attachment styles is that at the beginning, it was really easy to, to connect to the fearful avoidant. So yes, I'm anxious and I'm avoidant. And in talking that about it that way, I often almost like spoke it into existence. Mm. So I think the acknowledgement that awareness is a start. And the more you learn about it, the more I, for myself, at least reading attached, there is a certain point where I was kind of learning things of like, oh, this is how I work, or this is what happened in this relationship. And it really allowed me to become more secure. So even though I now identify still with a lot of it, um, anxious and avoidant, I identify a lot of really secure attachment that I have because it might still be effortful. It might still be intentional, but it's still there. So I think the language that we use around ourselves is really powerful. I also agree. We definitely need to do another episode because <laughs> I saw the time and we are running out, but I would love to maybe leave us on a, a classic note of any book recommendations that you can give to people so that between this episode and the next one, when we come back to attachment, there's some more <laughs> knowledge around it. Yeah, definitely. Well, first, I just want to say what you said just now has so much wisdom in it. When we attach ourselves to ourselves to labels, we really do start to speak that into existence. And I have to constantly scan myself for secure like so often I scan my actions for anxious and avoidant, but I'm like, wait, I've done a lot of work and I'm actually in a really, really mm-hmm. healthy place right now. What am I doing that's secure? And might the other person mm-hmm. have some attachment issues that are coming up, right? It's not always me. It's not always about me. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. other person has a whole life and a whole backstory and a whole childhood. And they actually could be the one that's showing up anxious or avoidant. And so I think that that perspective is so important. That like mindset of openness is so important. And so the book that I'm going to recommend is Attached. And this book, when you read it, when you listen to it as an audiobook, which is what I do, I think it's good to always take it with a grain of salt and with that perspective of that we are not just one thing. It is a spectrum. The book describes it as very distinctive containers. But we have qualities of secure, anxious, and avoidant, and it's important to not attach just a label to yourself, but instead understand how it shows up for you. Understand that that there is yes and, yes, Mm -hmm. I have this anxious attachment, and I have Mm -hmm. these ways that I'm very secure, and I show up for the people in my life. I express my emotions. I ask for my needs to be met. I set boundaries and I am not perfect, but I am worth it. And I think that that is so important as we're unlearning these patterns to just constantly remind ourselves that like, yes, there are things that I am working on and that I need to work on, but I am still worth it. I am enough. I am a catch and you are everyone that's listening. You are a catch. Yes. (laughs) And there are so many people who love you. 
Yeah, I just wanted to add really quick. I, I know we have to go, but one last little challenge for everyone who is now introduced to or maybe learned a little bit more about attachment. Use this as an opportunity. And if you read the book too, use it as an opportunity to start having conversations with the people that you trust and with people, even if you're, you know, starting a relationship, these are the kinds of conversations that are really helpful as like a tool in your tool belt to build really strong relationships and to improve your communication and understanding of yourself and others. So I hope everyone takes this as an opportunity for some really great conversations. We still have so much to cover around attachment. Uh, next, The next attachment episode, we'll talk about some of the myths, how we can start to, to change and learn and improve. And we'll dive into that next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. As always, any books, links, or resources that were mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes for you to access. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment. We would love to hear from you. Or feel free to send us a direct message on Instagram at Elevate Potential Podcast if you would like to be a guest on this show. Finally, please subscribe and download episodes in order to support the community that we are creating of people who are working to elevate their potential together. Until next time.